Hey everyone, you're listening to the MLEPC podcast. Thank you for joining us. The podcast features every previous Sunday's sermon and plenty of other cool content like interviews and mini-series. Please remember to share our content and subscribe to our channel so you can stay up to date with everything that we create. You can find out more about what's happening at the church by visiting our website at mlepc.org or checking us out on our social media. Once again, we thank you for tuning in to the Emily PC podcast, and we hope to see you at an event soon. Love the enthusiasm. <laughs> well, this morning's scriptures are from Exodus, Matthew, Luke, Luke and James. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. Going on to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22. You have heard that it was said to the peoples long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Going on to the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 18 through 25. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God himself, God alone. Jesus went on, you know, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, the ruler said. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the rich ruler heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then finally, in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful for this morning, Lord. We're grateful for the baptisms. We pray for the families that you bless them with their young ones. We're grateful, Lord, for the Ten Commandments, that these Ten Commandments have withstood the time and the test of time. Help us to focus on the sixth commandment, do not murder this morning, Lord. Help us to see the deeper way you have us looking at this commandment. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. It's a joy to be with you this morning as we talk about the sixth commandment, do not murder. Do not murder, it seems so easy. Don't kill anyone, yeah, that it's easy. 
I was here with you for commandment number one when we talked about I am the Lord your God. And one, one of the things I said is commandment number one is indeed the capstone of the first five commandments, the relationship between God and man. That if we can understand I am the Lord your God, that God is indeed the sovereign one who in control of all aspects of life, the rest of the relationship with God is pretty darn easy. You can look at the next six commandments, which are the relationship between man and themselves, between men, that if we really understand what God is intending by do not murder, the rest of the commandments, do not steal, do not commit adultery, the other commandments are easy to line up. Most of you know that I grew up as a Jewish kid, and as a Jewish kid, I had pride in these Ten Commandments. I knocked it out of the park. I honored my parents, I kept the Sabbath, I didn't murder anybody, I didn't sleep around. I felt very positive about how good I was. I was a good young man. In fact, a little bit arrogant and a lot self-righteous. I was better than most. I was a good guy. I would even argue that I deserve the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, sure. I mean, just on my own goodness alone, I deserved it. What's ironic is Jesus Christ runs into the same guy, like me, the rich young ruler, in the scripture we read. He was full of himself. Oh, yeah, those Ten Commandments, I'm good. Throw me a, a fastball that I don't understand. Throw me a commandment I'm not doing. And we saw how Jesus responded to this guy. This guy was an utter failure. And we see that later when Jesus Christ drills down into the sixth commandment, do not murder, and he adds additional standards. It's much harder than we ever thought. Do not murder, yeah, I haven't killed anybody. But Jesus is saying, no, it's just not that easy. I believe that religion is, is my roots, and a lot of us have the roots of religion, which is just the do's and the don'ts of life, that if I do this right and I don't do that, then I am lifting myself up to be respected by God. That's what most of the world does. If I can just be good enough and I'm better than my neighbor, and especially that neighbor, then we can feel that we deserve God's goodness. And that's really the definition of religion. Religion basically says that we as human beings can elevate ourselves to God's level by working hard and struggling and fighting through life. We can be good and passionate and one day we will earn God's goodness. And Christianity says, no, I'm sorry, it's not that. Actually, God understands what a mess we are. That is the foundation of who we are. You talked about baptism being our death, that we need to die to the people that we are, that we are not worthy of a thing. We're a mess. Once we understand we are a mess, then God says, I will come down to lift you up. It's, it's not religion where we are striving to climb the ladder to heaven but God is climbing down to humanity and saying, here's the gift of grace. Believe in me and you can receive this gift of salvation. It's not do's and don'ts. But it's a relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, that we have salvation through Christ and Christ alone. And one of the things I think about is, is Nike themselves, right? It's just, just do it. If you put your mind to it, you can win the gold medal. Just do it. And the Christian faith says, sorry, guys, you can't do it. 
You just can't do it. Stop struggling. Stop fighting. Christ came to give us rest, to give us the peace that comes through our faith in him. So we can't do it. We're in need of a, of a savior. That indeed is the message of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is nothing more than a list of struggles that we have. I can't do this, and I'm in desperate need of a savior. But I want to focus on the Sixth Commandment because it's really important. It's more than just a don't. Jesus Christ himself, and I'm going to repeat what I had read from the Matthew chapter 5. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And we're all saying, yeah, we get it. Jesus goes on, he says, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to the same judgment. Do you understand? That anger is now elevated to murder. He goes on, he says, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which basically means soft head, an idiot, is answerable to the court. So now we go from anger to name-calling, and Jesus says, anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And what Jesus is saying, we can be guilty of murder without pulling out guns and without knives and switchblades. That we are guilty through the words that we say, the gossip that we tell, the anger that we hold within, and even the thoughts that we have. We can murder people with our thoughts. Shouldn't we all be in jail for murder? You bet. I love telling stories, and one of my recent stories was I was on my way to Squirrel Hill, I live in, in um, Whitehall. And Streets Run Road is what connects us from Whitehall to Squirrel Hill. And if you don't know Streets Run Road, it's a one-way road, right? Two lanes, one, one in each direction. 25 miles an hour, all sorts of curves and bends. And here I am, my usual running a few minutes late. 25 miles an hour, and the guy in front of me is doing 15. And it's one of those situations where you can't swerve around because there's a bend around every corner. I mean, there are just bends upon bends upon bends and even a few train tracks to make it interesting. And I killed the guy. Had I had a bazooka connected to my car, it would have been blown to smithereens and I would have coasted through. How did this guy, does, how did he have the right to ruin my day? You know, these people, they're just noxious. They get in our way. How dare he? But that's the point. That's a small example of me killing that guy. Never met him, never saw him, but I killed him. I killed him with my thoughts, not with my actions, maybe a little tailgating, but I didn't hurt him. But I killed him. I'm guilty of murder on a regular basis. We all are. That's the point. The point is we're all guilty of murder. We should all be in jail. Let's not have this great, hey, I'm a great person. Yeah, really? Let's drill into your brain and you'll quickly realize what a mess each of us are. I believe that we as Christians sometimes struggle. That we have this sense of, I got to become a perfect human being. That God died, Christ died for me so I would be perfect Bruce. That once I become perfect, then God will shine his light on me and love me. 
that all I'm doing is working hard, the, the struggles that I have, I just work and work and work to overcome, and I'm back to my Judaism. That's the game I used to play. We're called not to do that. God says, quit focusing on your own perfection. Focus on the perfect one. So our call to faith is focusing on Christ and less to focus on Bruce and his perfection. And once I do that, once I give up my struggles and my strives to be perfect, guess what happens? I stop looking at myself. Do you see how the evil one can use this idea of perfection to ruin us, to say, well, I'm not good enough, I'm not perfect enough, I'm not enough, 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 enough. And the more we understand that we're not enough, we're useless. The evil one has just ruined our ability to make impact in the world by saying, I'm not good enough because I'm not perfect yet. And what God is saying, quit that, quit doing that. Start focusing on who I am. Start focusing on the perfect one. And the more I focus on him and less on Bruce, I'm more effective in his kingdom. That's the gospel. The gospel is like baptism, death to ourselves. It's not me being great. It's me allowing God to work through me. That's our greatness. Our greatness happens when Christ works through us and we get out of the way. So it's not our perfection, but it's allowing the perfect one to come through us. So what's the game? What are we after? Well, obviously we don't go around hurting people. Hello? That's pretty darn obvious. Do not murder. Don't hurt another person. Now we've talked about this higher standard thing. That it's not only hurting people, but it's hurting people with our mouths with what we say, with what we do, that we are able to hurt people in other ways. Let me give you another standard from the book of John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. It says, anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Hatred is murder. Hatred is I want that person dead. I want that person off planet Earth. That's hatred. I challenge each of you to create a list of those people that you pray for on a regular basis that God would harm them in some way. That's hatred. If you have anybody in your life that's like, I wish they would lose that, their job, I wish that house would burn down, I wish something bad would happen to them, that's hatred and it's evil and you've got to stop. There's no room for that. It's murder. Hello? That's murder. Quit it. We have to be able to say that I have a pure heart, not perfect, of a pure heart that I aspire that everyone is blessed. That's the way I live. I want the world to be blessed. I want the people to be so blessed that they say, wow, this God, this crazy God of ours has blessed me with abundance. Wow. That's the God I want to serve. I want us not to be people of hatred and anger. So what is the point of the sixth commandment? We talked about do not murder. We talked about don't be angry, don't hate. But I think there's a bigger message here. The bigger message is what God is saying is love one another. We're back to that. We're back to God saying do good, be positive. 
So instead of focusing on the don't aspect of don't murder, why don't we go through life being positive? I call it being life-giving. We walk into a situation, I want to bring life into it. Not my life, Christ's life. I want life to be into a room. When I walk in the room, man, I want there to be life. We are God's representative of life. We don't destroy, we build up. We are people who build up. Let me give you a couple examples. I'm a Toastmaster, a lot of you know that. And what we do is we practice public speaking. What we do, though, is more than just public speaking, we critique one another. And we have a, a format. So when we critique one another, we actually have what's called a sandwich approach. And a sandwich approach looks like this. I hear a speech. It's pretty good. Not fabulous, but pretty good. I don't lead with, you should do this, 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 and this, and then you'll be a better speaker. That's a terrible way to facilitate evaluation. This is what we do. We say, you know what? Bill, that was a great speech. Here are some solid things that you did. These are fabulous skills that you're developing. Your eye contact, the emotion, the fact that you were engaged, you engaged the audience. These are skills that we can work with that you can become a better speaker. Oh, and by the way, you could work a little bit on, on some of the ahs that you say or, or maybe some of the, the ways you're not articulating as more clearly as you could be. And then you end with positive and you say, Bill, but overall, that was fabulous, and I believe that there is room that you can grow, and we will grow together to be better speakers. So it's just not negative, 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 but a sense of lead with positive, slide in a little negative, close with positive, and you have sandwiched the negative in a bunch of positive. And it's really a lot better to receive. So whether you're a boss, or whether you're at a restaurant, or whether in your home, Let's not always be negative, but let's try to lead with positive. So what are ways we can lead with positive? Jack is a 20-year-old son of a friend of mine. Jack is without a job. Jack did two years of school. He's done with college. Picked up, the, picked up my email, right? I almost said Kavon. I picked up my email and I said, hey, Jack, let's get together. Let's talk. And we talked for an hour and a half in Bridgeville about life, faith, job, career. And at the end of the hour and a half, Jack walked away with some ideas of paths that might be interesting for him. I had no idea that he was into forestry. He was into the outdoors. He could see himself being a truck driver. He could see himself working at a call center for Highmark. I mean, these are just some skills that just came out of his mouth. And I, we went away with going to Indeed and making some connections and discerning whether any of these job possibilities might be interesting for him. It's not about me. I made myself available for an hour and a half to talk to Jack and to allow the Lord to use that conversation to grow him in ways and directions I could never figure out. But God shows up in conversations. That's speaking life. Life, Jack walked away with more life in his body than he had before we met. That's an act of life-giving. I think of our pregnancy center, the one that we support. You know, they just opened a new office 
on Carson Street in the south side. It's fabulous. Even during the virus, they never shut down for a day because they value life as such an important thing. We pro-lifers sometimes get this mantra of all you people do is care about babies being born and then you just walk away from the moms and the families. And it's like, no, no way. That is not who we are. That's an insult. That's an insult to us because we care about that child. We want that child to be nurtured in a positive family. And we also want the moms and dads to have the finances and the support to raise that child in a loving way. It's not just about giving birth to babies. Machines can do that. But what we do is we care about the relationships. We have a heart for these people. This is another example of an organization that is life-giving. Not only do they give birth, but they look at the whole gamut of life. Parents matter. Grandparents matter. Clothes matter. Every aspect of life matters. And that, that's why we support them. And we are in partnership doing ministry. I was in Kenya two years ago. Some of you were with me there. And Eileen and I came home, went to Atrios for, for lunch. And you quickly sense that the people in Kenya have nothing. And then here I am as an American having the blessing of a restaurant. And you get this guilt, this sense of guilt of, wow, I don't deserve this. That we Americans have hit the lottery of life by living here. We need to be the most thankful people on the planet. Nobody else gets to live the way we do. We have been blessed abundantly by God to be here. I'm sitting there, I forgot what I was eating, hamburger or whatever. The guy at the table next to us yells at his waiter and says, why are my fries cold? And the contrast was amazing. Here I am getting off the plane a couple of hours ago for people who would kill for cold fries. To we whining Americans saying, why are my dang fries cold? Can we not live that way? When we live that way, we're basically saying, the world is my oyster, serve me. That's why I'm here, for the world to serve me. That's not Christianity. That's not it. That is life sucking. <laughs> that person was sucking the life of that waiter. Okay? There's a better way to say that. You can say, hey, I have cold fries. But you say, first of all, the roast beef sandwich, fabulous. I really appreciate the way that you brought my third Coke refill on time. That is great. Thank you for being our waiter today. You have really made this an enjoyable experience. But I'm sorry to tell you that my fries are a tad cold. Do you see the difference? Sometimes it's just the way we say the things that we say. I'm trying to get us not to be lazy, but to focus on what we say, that what we say can bring life and not death. Nobody ever got to be a better employee because they were beat down. Nobody ever was a better waiter by being insulted to death. These are negative motivators. They don't work. What we need to be is people of encouragement, people of life, 
people of faith. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and I love this. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all of the positive attitudes and aspirations we have. And Paul ends it by saying, against such things there is no law. Look at the Ten Commandments. Lots of do's and don'ts. And what Paul is saying, when we love one another, when we're fair with one another, when we're patient with one another, when we're kind with one another, when we're good with other, there's no law. Nobody's trying to rein us in because laws mean we're trying to control you. Nobody's trying to control us by loving too much. Nobody's saying, hey, Bruce, stop it. You're, you're too good. You're too nice. Okay, there's no law against being good. And what's being good? A reflection of God, a reflection of Jesus Christ. This is a hard world. If you haven't figured this out, this is a crazy hard world and it's getting harder by the second. We're here to make a difference, to make this be a less dark world and start moving it towards light. That's our job. As Christians, that's why God put us on this planet, to move it in the direction of light and to have less darkness. So, the Sixth Commandment, what's it about? The Sixth Commandment really is about don't murder. It really is about not pulling out our guns and shooting one another. It really is about that. But there's a deeper message. The deeper message is stop hurting one another with words and with actions. Be more intentional in what we do. That's also the message of the Sixth Commandment. But there's a deeper message. And the deeper message is not in the don't side, but in the do side. It says, do be life-giving in all that you do. Jesus Christ said, it's really pretty easy. Follow me. Do what I say. Be obedient to what I call. Imitate me in all that you do. And it'll work out okay. And we'll make a difference in this world. And sometimes we say, yeah, but no. We make a difference in the world one person at a time. We're not striving to change the whole world, just change one or two. We're striving to make subtle differences that can add up if we all collectively are doing the same. It's amazing how much impact we can make by spreading the love of Jesus Christ. So Christ looks at each of us in the eye and he says, I'm serious. I am serious. This is what the sixth commandment means. Stop thinking about yourself. Look at the world and find ways that we can be life-giving. Christ says, I'm serious. I'm dead serious. Hi, this is Pastor Carolyn. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check out our website at mlepc.org. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a podcast. Have a blessed day.